last week we read about a kid that fell out of the window. That wasn't fun. But um, really what's happening here is that the Apostle Paul has been informed by the Spirit that he's not going to be making these trips much longer. He knows that he's supposed to go to Jerusalem, and he knows he's supposed to go to Rome. And he knows when that happens. See, I've got a microphone here. I don't know why I'm holding this. He knows when that happens that uh, he's likely not coming back. Now, I think you might think that's a, a tragic thing. But in one hand, it might be tough to hear. But you remember what Paul wrote to Timothy. Now, this is much later than what we're reading right now. But much later when he is in Rome and his trial is coming up. He says to Timothy, he goes, you know, I fought the good fight. I've, I've kept the faith. I finished my course. And ahead of me, there is laid up for me a crown. So for Paul, at this point in his life, he's beginning to realize that all he's wanted to do was fulfill the will of God. And by the time he gets to this point, he's, he's feeling that urgency that what I've been building up to, I'm coming to the point where some things are going to happen. The Holy Spirit told him that you're going to go and they're going to put you in some chains. You're going to have prisons ahead of you, some, some, some rough treatment at places. But you're doing it for my name. The Apostle Paul is not running away from this. He's actually running towards it. Not because he's a masochist and just says, oh yeah, I love to be mistreated. But rather because he's a man who says, I want to fully complete what God has sent me to do. And to be honest, some of these guys, when you, read, when you read the writings of some of these apostles, when they got to be old people, old men, and they had fulfilled what God sent them to do, they weren't dragged kicking and screaming to their death. They went forward with joy. I'll tell you why. When you know you finished what you were sent to do, it's exciting to go see Jesus. Now, don't you, any of you, get, get in your head, well, maybe I'll just go tonight. Because I don't know if there's anybody in the room that I'd say is finished. I don't think there's anybody finished here tonight. And so what you don't want to do, now, whenever you go and see Jesus, whenever your, your time here on earth is done, it will be a happy day to see Jesus. Be a happy day. But I don't want you to show up and, and, and realize there was more left to you, for you to do. So don't go before your time. And uh, don't seek that. Let God just help you to fulfill everything you're put here to do. And so Paul's going from church to church, saying his goodbyes, giving his final uh, words of encouragement and exhortation to them. And this is what he says um, as, uh, let's start in verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. So he's in Miletus and he's asked the elders from Ephesus to come and see him where he is. So the address is to the church at Ephesus. He's in Miletus, but he's speaking to Ephesians for the most part. Now, when it says the elders, I want you to know who he's talking about. Uh, from the best we can read from, from, from reading the scripture and seeing how they had things set up, as you know, in a pagan society where Christianity wasn't exactly embraced, in fact, it was under great persecution, you couldn't have a big giant amphitheater and everybody meets there. It wouldn't have worked, right? Practically, it wouldn't have worked because people didn't have cars, you know. You couldn't just go to the other side of the city as easy as you could today. But, but in a bigger sense, meeting like that would have caused you some real trouble. 
So they met in different homes. Now, they, you know, some of these guys, some of these people were poor and some of them were rich. And so if people had a lot of space, that was good. They'd bring the people from that area would come to this place. And so the elders that we're talking about are basically like pastors of these little congregations. The reason I use the word pastor is because in a moment, Paul's going to say, shepherd the flock. And pastor is just another word for shepherd, right? So he's going to say shepherd. He, he also uses the word uh, uh, which, which is really, it says shepherd here, but it's also the word bishop. And so, you know, that's, that's a word which means overseer, somebody who's over. And so we, the best we can find out is these are the ones that were leading these separate groups that were meeting in these different areas of the city. He gathers them to himself. He calls them to Miletus so that he can talk to them. And I can imagine how you, can you imagine having this meeting? They don't know what he's going to say, but you can imagine the Apostle Paul who has labored with these people, who has, who has suffered with them, has rejoiced with them, has, has fought alongside of them, and he realizes he's never going to see them again. That's a, that's a heavy conversation, isn't it? This is what he says. Well, you could tell a lot by somebody's last sermons. It says, when he, they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Now, those of you who've been with us on Wednesday night, you know Asia is not talking about China, Japan, India, all of that. Asia in, in, in Roman times, that was the Roman province, which is now Turkey, uh, east of Greece. This is so Ephesus and uh, a lot of these, uh, these uh, a lot of the uh, cities that you find in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation are the churches of Asia. And so... Ephesus is kind of the, the lead church in that whole province, which is why, if you'll remember, that's why the apostle John set his headquarters in Ephesus for so long. That's why when Jesus wrote the letters to the seven churches in Ephesus, he spoke about how they didn't tolerate certain false teachers. It was because Ephesus was like the lead church of all these other churches. And if somebody got a foot in the door in Ephesus, they had a foot in the door in all those other churches. It was, a, it was a significant, important um, point and hub for this whole province. It was, it was something that was very important. So he says to them, you know that from the day, first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. I was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. Now he's not saying every day I was crying. He's not saying every day I was miserable, but he's saying this, even when it got rough, even when there were tears, even when there were plots against me, even when it was bad and, and, and everybody else would have cut and run, I stayed with you the whole time. Yes. Remember, this is what Jesus said. Jesus says there's a difference between a shepherd and a hireling because a hireling is just there for the paycheck. Right. And when things get hard, he said the hireling will run. But he says, a shepherd, a good shepherd will lay his life down for the sheep. Every godly leader, every godly minister, every godly pastor, every godly event, any, any leader, a hallmark of whether they're the real thing or not is do they stick it out when things get rough or do they run away? I can tell you this. You don't need to serve in a church, well, I'm not going to tell you which church to be in, but I'm just saying, it's not good to be in a church where the pastor's just there for a paycheck. That will not last very long. Now, you also can't judge a pastor, can't judge his heart, can't judge a leader's heart without knowing him. But I'm just saying, 
I would never want to be in a position where somebody is serving just because there's a paycheck there. Paul said when there was no paycheck, when it was hard, when there was tears, when people were trying to kill me, I stayed with you the whole time. Thank God for faithfulness. Thank God for endurance. Thank God for long-suffering. And you know what? That's not just for leaders. That's for all of us. Now, you're all leaders in your own sense. But this is for all of us that we don't quit. We don't run when things get sticky and we get, things get tough. You don't break off a relationship with somebody. You don't break off a relationship with your church. You don't break off a relationship with your friends. You, don't, you do not ever run away because things got tough. If you leave somewhere, if you, if you move out of Lloydminster and you, you move to Calgary or you move to Saskatoon or you move, God help you to Winnipeg. If that ever happened, it would not be because you're running away from Lloyd. See, if you're running away, that's not God's voice. God will always cause you to run to something. Not away from something, but to something. Now, he calls, call, tells you to leave youthful lust, flee youthful lust. But when I'm talking about a place that he's called you. He won't tell you to leave your job because your job got difficult. He won't tell you to leave your church because somebody spoke to you differently. He won't tell you to leave the city because, you know, prices went up. He'll tell you because he's got something better for you. So Paul said, I stuck with you the whole time through all of this. In verse 20, he said, I did not shrink. You know how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And teaching you publicly from house to house. Well, what is profitable? Now, do you think that means he's, he's holding financial se- seminars? No, profitable, he's not talking about money. I mean, although money might be included in that. But the bigger picture, profitable means what does you well? Now, why in the world would he shrink from preaching something that's going to do them good? Because the Bible tells us that all scripture is profitable. But not all scripture people want to hear all the time. See, half the stuff that's profitable that you really need to hear is the stuff you don't want to hear. So he says, I didn't shrink from it. I wasn't afraid to just tell you what you needed to hear. Thank God. Amen. Your buddy gives you, your, your buddy gives you what you want, but daddy gives you what you need. This is what he's saying. I'm just kidding. He says this, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house. So all of these men and women knew him well. He'd been to their houses. He'd been, uh, you know, to their congregations. He went to every congregation and visited them. And it says this, and now, he says, oh, sorry, verse 21, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. And now, behold, I am bound in spirit. I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Wow, when we talk about, when did you first get the call of God? You know, that's not what you normally think of. When, you know, we think of this glorious moment when the, the light opened up in your room and there was this beam that came down and angels were singing. But for Paul, he says, every city I go to, I know when I'm going to Jerusalem, I know ahead of me, bonds and affliction are coming. I know I'm going to have to go to prison. Why? Why, God? Why are you telling him this now? You see, the Lord often will tell you of something to come, not because he wants you to be scared or nervous. He He wants you to be prepared. He wants you to be ready. He wants you to be strong. He wants you to know, 
Now, this is the case. Paul is going to, to go through that stuff, not because God said you need some prison time. This isn't for Paul's character. This isn't for Paul to grow a little closer to Jesus. This is because he's got to preach. And in order to preach, this has got to happen because he's going to appeal to Caesar and he's got to speak before kings. And in order for that to happen, he's got to do some prison time. Now, do you love the call of God on your life enough to embrace that as well as the, 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 the fun stuff? I hope you do. But the apostle Paul says, I, I don't know what's waiting. I don't know how it's going to happen. I just know it's ahead of me. Thank God for a God that, doesn't let you get, that wasn't going to let him be blindsided by that. He's, he's ready. He's preparing. He's being strengthened for it. And then it says this in verse 24. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. What a powerful statement. You remember that, that in, in the book of Revelation, when those martyrs stand before God and, and, and they say, These are the ones who've overcome, and they overcame the devil. They overcame the evil one by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life, even unto death, which means they love God more than they love their life. That's how you overcome. You overcome by the blood of the lamb. Thank God, I'm washed, I'm clean. You overcome by the word of your testimony. That, that, that you, now that when it says the word of your testimony, we're not just talking about you telling your story, although that's part of it. Your testimony is the testimony of Jesus Christ. And it says, you love not your life, even unto death. There are some things that are more, way more important than this body and this planet. And that is the kingdom of God. And when this body quits, his word endures. And I'd rather be pleasing to God than pleasing to man. And I'd rather stand with crowns on my head in heaven than stand with crowns on my head on earth. And I'd rather be running on the streets of gold than live a little bit longer on this earth if it meant I had to deny what God sent me to do. So he says, I don't count my life of any account as dear to myself so that I might finish my course and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. I like what he says here. Go back a verse. I like what he says here. He says, I didn't count my life as dear to myself so that I might finish my course, which tells me if he had fallen too much in love with living on the earth here, too much in love with seeing how long I can survive, he wouldn't have been able to finish his course. You know what that tells me? Finishing your course is not about the amount of years you spent on the planet. Finishing your course is about Did you finish what the Lord sent you to do? How many years did it take Jesus to finish his course? 33. He died at 33 years old. It's a shame when we judge whether somebody finished their course or not by how young they died. Now, I don't don't believe any of you are going to die young. I believe you can live with a long life. He will satisfy me and show me his salvation. I believe that. But you can't get so in love with your life here on earth that you forget there's a bigger call. And in order for the Apostle Paul to finish his course, he had to say, my life's not as important as people think it is. He says this, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. So what he's preaching is the good news of the grace of God. That's the message. Praise God, what a good message. 
Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but this is the only, the only sermon we have, the only speech, if you want to call it that, the only example of Paul speaking to the church that we have, we have in our Bibles. We have letters that he wrote. This is the only time we see him actually address a church with, with an actual message. It's the only time we, 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 get the, we get the transcription, I mean. There's lots of times where we, we were told that he's preaching to the church. This is the only time we get to listen in and see what he says. And it's his farewell sermon. And I love how he says straight up, you guys know who I am. I'm not trying to hide who I am. You know you've seen me and you've heard what I've preached. I've preached the gospel of the grace of God. Then he says this, and now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Now, what does that mean? I'm innocent. Is he saying like, you know, I used to kill people. Then I found Jesus and I don't kill people anymore. I kicked the habit. Is that what he's saying? He didn't do any more murders. Is that what he's saying? No, what he's saying is this because he says it in the next verse. Here's why I'm innocent. And this is important, guys. Y'all need to grasp this because this is what he says. I'm innocent because, verse 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. See, this is the second time he said I didn't shrink. You have to know because I'm sure you faced it when, when, when it comes a time and God opens a door for you to say something to somebody that needs to hear the gospel. There is an opportunity to press forward and there's an opportunity to shrink back. Right? He says, I can stand before you with a clean conscience that I'm innocent of blood because I didn't shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now that's a heavy, I know it's a good statement for him to make. It's a heavy statement for me to hear. Because that means if I'm too afraid of people and I shrink back because I don't want to offend anybody, your blood's on my hands. You really want that? I don't want that. I'm not trying to guilt you into preaching. I'm trying to encourage you into preaching. You want to be able, these are, this is why we're reading this tonight, number one, because that's where we are in the book of Acts. We're reading the whole book of Acts. Let's just be straight about it. But number two, one of the reasons I was excited to read you this tonight is because I want you to see, I want you to be able to identify with this and say, at the end of my life, if I know it's coming, which we don't always know that, but if I knew it was coming, at the end of my life, I knew this was one of the last things I'd say. I'd want to be able to make a, a sermon like this. I want to be able to say some of these things. And you can't say some of these things by being a good preacher. You say some of these things because you've, li you've lived a life under God back here. And you can testify. You guys know me. This is what we've done. And I could tell you right now, I don't feel like I could preach this full sermon right now and, and, and feel like I could say it like he says it. But it's my goal. That at the end of my life, I can talk like this. I say, I'm innocent because I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't shy away from telling you the truth. I didn't shy away from preaching the gospel to you. I did not get afraid when things got hard. I stuck with it. I didn't run away when things got difficult. And I want you guys to be able to say the same thing. If you live a long life and someday your grandchildren and great-grandchildren gather around your bed and you're, you're ready to go see Jesus and you're talking to them, I want you to be able to say these kinds of things to them. And you don't say them because you, you learned and memorized a speech. You can say them because right now we choose to live a life where we're not going to be afraid. We choose to live a life where we're going to love. We choose to live a life where the only opinion that matters is the opinion 
of Jesus Christ. That's what matters. The Bible says, in fact, Paul said it to the Galatian church. He said this, if I was seeking to please men, I could not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. If I was trying to please people, I couldn't please God. I want you to be free tonight of the fear of people. Can you believe that God is going to set you free from the fear of people? I'll tell you what will set you free from the fear of people, the fear of God. I'm not talking about being afraid of God like he's going to smack you any moment. I'm talking about having a reverence for God where you only care what he thinks. When you care what Jesus thinks, everybody else really is, it's nice. I like when you like me, but I just, I like when he likes me. I, I, I know he always likes you. Don't, don't worry. But I, I'd rather be pleasing to him. I'd rather my words rise to him as a sweet smelling fragrance. Let's continue to read here in verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Boy, I I mean, this is a, a refrigerator verse for pastors. I'll tell you why. Because it reminds you whose flock this is, and it isn't yours. And they've been bought with a big price tag that you couldn't afford. I tell you, as, as, I'm just telling you as a pastor, when I remember and, I, and, I, and I'm aware of the fact that the people that God called me to and the, called to, 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 to you know, be a part of this body, when I recognize they're not mine, now I'm responsible, I'm a, I have to be a good steward of the, of the people that God puts in this room and God puts in our path, but they're not mine to dominate, they're not mine to own, that Jesus Christ bought them with his blood and he counted them worthy and he counted them precious and he counted them worth all the, all the blood he shed, they were worth it. That makes you love people a lot more and makes you say, someday I'm going to have to answer to the chief shepherd. And I want to be able to hold my head up high when I do it. <laughs> so this guy says, this guy, Paul, he says, be on guard for yourselves and for the flock. See, that's another reason it needs to be on the refrigerator. Just because you're the preacher doesn't mean you don't need to also be on guard. Be on guard first for yourself and then for the flock. Paul says this to Timothy as well. He says, he says take care. Take care for yourself. And then you're preaching and then the people that God's given you. So he tells them, watch out for yourself first. And I've used this example before. We're about to go get on a plane on Friday. And every time you get on a plane, um, I've learned in order to be respectful, I watch them do their safety thing, even though I, I, I think I know it better than they do, I almost at this point. I probably don't, but I feel like I do. You know, and you're like, okay, it's the same. Technology of seatbelts hasn't changed. It buckles <laughs> and you lift, right? I know that. But they always tell you this, and now that I'm a father, it means a little bit more to me. But they tell you if you've got a small child, see, if the, if the cabin becomes depressurized, these oxygen masks are going to fall down. And your instinct as a parent is to take care of your kid. God put that instinct in you, right? He put that instinct in you. You take care of your kids first. You lay your life down for them. But they tell you, go against your instinct. You need to first secure your own mask because if you pass out, you can't help that kid. If you're, past, if you're unconscious, unconscious, nobody's going to help that little child. So you first make sure your mask is on, then you help that child. And it sometimes goes against your own instinct, but it's what's going to save both of your lives. 
And here he says, it's important that you don't just look out for the people that God gave you. You got to look out for yourself. Watch yourself. Then he says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You didn't make yourself overseers. I didn't make you overseers. The Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit made you overseers, he's able to equip you to be overseers. He's able to, he's able to keep you. He's able to guard you. He's able to help you if you need help. Thank God you got help. I didn't pick me. He picked me. Then he says this, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That's the value that God puts on you. And everyone that ever leads you should put the same value on you that Jesus put on you. And if they don't, they might not be worthy of that leadership. Now, don't judge anybody harshly or quickly. Because we all know what it's like when we rush to judgment. But I'm telling you this. that as a, Many of you are leaders in your own sense and you need to know this. We must value the church and the family of God the same way that Jesus values them. They were worth his blood. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Now, when we see the word perverse in our modern English language, we think sexual. But while that might be part of it, perverse just means twisted. Takes a good thing and twists it. Takes a truth and twists it. That's alive and well today, guys. Do you know he's not talking, when he talks about wolves, when he talks about these false teachers, he's not talking about people coming out from the world. He's not talking about people showing up on the church doorstep, handing out the satanic Bible to people and saying, here, read this, here, read this. Because you know what you'd do with that? You'd toss it. You'd burn it. You would have nothing to do with that. No, he's talking about people that will come out from among you. You know, the, the scripture talks about this in, in John. It says the spirit of Antichrist is already out there. Now, he says that, you know, we're not talking about the Antichrist, capital A. But he says there's a spirit in the world already right now. It's a spirit that opposes the things of God. It opposes the anointing. It opposes Christ himself. And he says, these guys came out from among you. But they were never of you. Now, that's important. Never of you means they might have played the game, they might have showed up, they might have been at some services, act like they were part of it, but they were never part of the real thing. But he says they're going to rise from among you, from the church. And he says they'll speak perverse things and they will draw away the disciples after them. So it's up to these leaders. He's saying, leaders, I want you to be aware of this, be ready for this, watch yourself and watch your people. Because the moment I go away, somebody's going to rush in to try to fill that void. See, this is the heart. This guy, he could easily say, I'm going to see Jesus. You guys do whatever you want. Not my problem anymore. My blood's off my hands. But this is the heart of somebody that says, God called me to you and God called you to me. This is somebody that cares for the people of God. And I pray that we would all have this heart where we say, I care for you because Jesus cares for you. And this man is not willing to go to his grave without saying, I want you to know, I want this legacy to endure past me. He says this, therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. That's how intense he was about this. Night and day for three years, I taught you, I admonished you. If I had to rebuke you, I rebuked you. If I had to correct you, I corrected you. That's love. And he says this, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. 
I love this because this reminds me that I'm not, a, you know, a, a human being can't keep you in the grace of God. He's saying, it's not up to me to keep you on track. I, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Go with God. Let him keep you. And he says this, which is able to build you up. Praise God. The word of his grace is able to do what? It's able to build you up. It's able to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. Do you grab that? The word of his grace is able to give you an inheritance which already belongs to you. But when you recognize what is the word of his grace, the word of his grace is that he became sin who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The word of his grace is, I can't do it, but he can do it. By his stripes, I was healed. It says, I'm, I might be weak, but where I'm weak, he is strong. That where you fail, God comes through. He not just comes through on your behalf, but comes through through you. That where you are weak, he is strong. Where you are unable, he is more than able. The word of his grace is all about us disappearing into Christ and letting him be what we could never be. And when it's able to build you up, and it's able to give you an inheritance. And then he says this, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. It's a big deal. I think it was Billy Graham that said, if a preacher can get his, his heart right about money, sex, and I forgot what the third thing was, if there was a third thing. He says, if he can get his heart th- right about those things, he could pretty much be all right with other, th- he'll, he'll be in line for other things, because those are the, some big things. And Paul says, I looked at you, I did not look at you for what you could give to me. I wasn't after your money. Now, this is the same Apostle Paul that says, it was good for you to support me. So he, he wasn't telling them, I don't want your, you know, I don't need you keep your money. No, he knew. He said, it's good for you to support me. But he's saying, that's not why I preached to you. I wasn't after your money. I wasn't after your gold. I wasn't after your clothes. Thank God. You can't really lead people if you're after them. You're using them as, as a dollar sign walking around. It's true. And every, every leader needs to watch their heart that they never, once again, it goes back to that hireling thing. If you're after the money, if you're after people for what they can give to you, I can tell you this, and I'll just be honest with you. I, I, I don't partake unless there is, a, a, a every, you know, everybody's out of town. I don't actually count the offering with the people back there. I'll tell you why. I, I, have a, I have an idea of the church finances. I know what's going on. But I don't know individually what you guys give every week. And the reason is I don't want to know. I, I believe that you're giving. I, I pray for you, and I, I want to know that you are giving. But I don't want to know what you're giving. Because I don't want to treat you any different based on how much you gave or how much you didn't give. And you know what? I never want to say, this person needs to stay in the church because they're a good tither. And this person could leave because they never gave anything. I don't want to be that guy. I want to just love people like Jesus loves them. So I got to tell you, I don't know how much you guys gave today. I don't know how much you gave last Sunday or the Sunday before that. I don't really want to know. I, I want to know that you're giving. And if you come in a counseling session and we talk about how things are rough and how you haven't had the final, you know, I'm going to ask you, are you giving? Because I believe that's part of the equation. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty tough for you to say, you know, I'm having trouble doing all this. I'm having trouble doing all this. Why doesn't anything seem to be working? And, and you're holding back. You're not letting God into your finances. That's something we're going to talk about. But I don't go back and look at those envelopes because I want to treat you the same whether you gave five cents or whether you gave $5 million. I want to treat you the same. So Paul said, I didn't covet your money. 
I wasn't after your clothes. I wasn't after your gold or silver. That's not why I preached to you. And I think I proved it, he's saying, because I was there when things got rough. I was, things, I was there when things were good, but I was there when things were rough. And he says in verse 24, or 34, sorry, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and the men who were with me. So he, remember, he, he made some tents. He did some of those things because he wanted to prove to them he wasn't after their money. He said, in everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So he's demonstrating to them. He's not just preaching it, he's living it. Thank God. When he said all these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. They began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he'd spoken that they would not see his face again, and they were accompanying him to the ships. It's a little sad, isn't it? But I'm telling you, as sad as that might be, this is very encouraging to see. Here's a man who can look back and can look people in the eye and say, I did what God sent me to do. I was unable to do it on my own strength, but by the grace of God, I could be it. I didn't come after your money. I didn't come after what you could offer me. I didn't run when things got hard. I didn't shy away or be afraid to say what you needed to hear. These are the kind of leaders that we need. And I'm not just talking about pastors. This is what we should model our life after. First and foremost, model your life after Jesus. He's the ultimate example. Paul had to follow Jesus, and Jesus was the one that said, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. He's the one that said, I, he said, he said, the glory I get from you guys doesn't count. The only, stuff that, the only glory that's going to count at the end of the day is the glory I get from God. That's what Paul said. That's what Jesus said, I'm sorry. So Paul is imitating Christ, and we should too. We should also imitate Christ and say, I want to be able to say this kind of stuff when I die. I want to be able to say it now. I, can you say right now, can you say this week, I did not shy away when God opened the door for me to say something and, and, and preach to somebody that needed to hear the gospel. I didn't shy away. That's important that we didn't shy away. Number one, now listen. It's important that you know when God opens a door. God will always open doors if you ask him. Right? He will. But it's important that you know that the Holy Spirit will set you up. You know what I'm saying? He'll set you up. If you ask him, he'll set you up. You know it. And you you guys all know it. You've all had those opportunities. You know when God is giving you an underhand pitch right across the plate and, and, you, and you, can, you can strike out looking or you can smack that thing out of the park. And you know when that moment came, right? Now, I'm going to tell you, please don't just beat yourself up for, for two weeks when you missed it because I've missed it. I, you know, there was a story, Matthew and I, my brother-in-law, it was before he was my brother-in-law, but we were on a dock in uh, Dipolog and, you know, we just in, in um, it's a seaside city in Mindanao, and we were on a dock there, and there was a, a, a white guy from Florida that came up to us, I guess because we were the only white people he saw for a long way. And so he came up to us and said, boys, what are you doing here, you know? What, what, what brings you over here? Basically, he was over there because he wanted to get away from his family and spend a bunch of money and have an alternative family over here. And so he, through his words, and the more we talked to him, he wasn't a godly man by any stretch. This is a man that needs Jesus, right? He needs Jesus. 
So Matthew and I are just ready. We're looking at each other like, all right. We're, we're giving each other the eye like, mm-hmm, this guy, this guy, right? So here's what we're waiting for because we compare notes later. We're just waiting for him to say, what brings you here? It would be the obvious question. We're the only two other white people he saw all day. Why are you here? Standing on the dock with me. You know, I thought he was going to ask that. And then I could say, I'll tell you why we're here, you know. And all this time we're feeling the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But we're putting it off saying, the moment hasn't come, the moment hasn't come. But we knew the moment had come, Tony. I knew the moment had come. I knew we were both waiting for each other. Which one of us is going to be the first one to say it? And all of a sudden, this, a guy calls out to this guy and goes, hey, we got to leave now. And this guy just leaves. Oh, I can tell you the sinking feeling. Matthew and I were so just gutted because we had that opportunity and we let it pass because we were waiting for the other guy to say something or we just, you know, we just, we just, we just missed it. And so we were both sitting in our hotel just, just, just with our heads in our hands going, oh, man. And all of a sudden, we, I got up and I said, Matt, I said, but we, you know, we can't just sit here. It does, it, nobody's going to go to heaven because we sat here and moaned and regretted and, and kicked ourselves in the head all night. Do you think that's going to get anybody to heaven? No, it's not. I said, let's use this for fuel. Let's use this experience for fuel for the next time and say, I never want to feel that way again. I never want to feel like I've missed it. So I said, you know what? Tonight we got, we've got a meeting. Tonight we're preaching the gospel. Let's preach the gospel with everything we got. Let's just go all out. And I, I mean, hundreds got saved that night. And that was a pickup because all of a sudden we're just like, all right, well, you know what? I, I still regret that we didn't say something to that man. But I know I'm not going to sit back. It does nobody any good for me to feel condemned for the rest of my life. I'm going to say, Lord... I'm sorry, I should have. You know what? Help me next time so that I, I don't miss that opportunity. So everybody in the room knows when you've had those opportunities. People that need Jesus, God opens a door. Yeah. Brings them right in front of you. See, when God opens the door, you don't have to kick it down. It's just, it's just there. We all know what it's like to walk through that door. We also all know what it's like to miss that chance. I think if you don't know what it's like to miss that chance, you're probably not being honest with yourself because you, if you've been saved for any period of time, you probably missed once, at least once. But as the Reverend Wayne Gretzky once said, we miss 100% of the shots we don't take, right? And I want to be able to say I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I didn't shrink back. What does the Bible say? We are not of those that shrink back. To destruction, but are those that have faith to the preserving of the soul. I know what it's like to shrink back, but I know what it's like to press on. And it's much better to have pressed on. Shrinking back is easy for a few moments, but in the end, it's never good. You want to be able at some point in your life to look back and say, I didn't shrink back. When things got hard, I didn't shrink back. When I was afraid, I didn't shrink back. When someone opposed me, I didn't shrink back. When there was opportunities to quit, I didn't quit. And I'll tell you how that happens. What is the Bible? You know, that scripture I just quoted, it says, we are not of those that shrink back to destruction. We are those who have faith. 
You see, we're not talking about you being brave in your own strength. We're not talking about you being strong in your own willpower. I'm talking about you relying on Jesus and saying, I'm afraid right now, Jesus, but I know that your boldness is in me and you can do what I can't do. I'm weak right now, but I know you're strong. I, 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 I'm not a good talker, but you are. So speak through me here. I don't like this person, but I know that you love them. I'm I'm looking at the window because I want you to know that it's nobody here. But you know, these are the moments that define you. Because when everything is going great, we all look the same. It's when things get a little rough that you're going to find out who are the ones that are trusting in the Lord. Who's trusting in the Lord? Never be ashamed that you're going through a bit of a rough time. Never be ashamed that you're, be, you're under attack. Instead, stand strong in the Lord and say, you know, this is part of a Christian life. Is that he told me this would happen. Jesus said this will happen. But he said, take heart, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He said to his disciples, he said, people will throw you in jail. Your friends will betray you. People will, 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 will lie and they'll, 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 they'll lie in front of a judge to you. They'll get you arrested. But he says this. He says, even when that happens, I am going to speak through you. And the words that you have at that moment will be my words. And then he says, they won't be able to touch a hair on your head. And what's interesting about that is he just told you some will be killed. Some will be killed, but they won't harm a hair on your head. So will the blade just be so clean and just, and they don't touch my hair, don't mess up my hair? Thank God for that. What he's saying is they can harm your body, but they can't touch what matters. You need to put the value on what matters. Now, I believe God will rescue you from death. Paul said, remember Paul said, I said, I was delivered. And he is delivering me, and he will yet deliver me. The Apostle Paul knew, I'm not going to die until I'm done. And he proved it out. He survived shipwrecks. He survived stonings and beatings. I mean, he survived things. He should have died like five times, at least. But he said, no, I'm going to live until I'm done. Right? I'm going to live until I'm done. But when it's time to go, they can't harm a hair of what matters. They can chop my head off. But my hair's fine. <laughs> it's, uh, my soul survives. And I'll stand before Jesus with a crown on my head. I want you to know that the Lord values your soul highly. So I want you to see this from two perspectives t- tonight, if you could. Can we do that? The first perspective I want you to see, I want you to see that this is the kind of leader you deserve. You deserve people that love you. You deserve people that care for you. You deserve to be valued as much as your chief shepherd values you. The second perspective I want you to see, I want you to identify with Paul here. And I want you to be able to say, I want to be able at some point in my life to look back and say, I'm innocent of anyone's blood. I want you to be able to say, I didn't shrink back. I wasn't afraid. I said what the Lord told me to say. I went where he told me to go. And I didn't run away when it got hard. And there's going to be times where that's going to be tested, guys. It's going to be tested. Where everything within you says, I just want to go. I just want to get away. Those are the times when you're earning those rewards in heaven. Those are the times 
where you are developing who you're going to be for the rest of your life. Those are the times where your kids are watching you. Those are the times when new believers are watching and saying, what are they going to do? Trust in the Lord. The Bible says that Jesus, even when he was mistreated, he entrusted his soul to a righteous God. When you feel like people are against me or things are going weird, things are not happening, entrust your soul to a God that cared enough for your soul that he was willing to be beaten and suffer and die for it. That's how much you're worth. And if you walk away tonight with anything, I want you to know that the value that Jesus put on you, the price tag, and I want to tell you, he is the only appraiser that matters. The price tag on your life was his life. That's how much you're valued. And it's a cliche to some, but it doesn't make it any less true that if you were the only person on the planet, I believe wholeheartedly, if you were the only one, Jesus still would have died for you. Don't ever think, yes, you're part of a larger picture, but don't ever think Jesus only died for you because there was a lot of other people he needed to die for. He, he, when he died for you, he died for all of us, but he died for us individually as well. You need to know that your value on your life was him giving his life. And Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world yet lose his soul? Do you know what that means to me? Your soul is worth more than the whole world. Your soul is worth more than the whole world. And if we could value each other like that, and if we could know that that's how God values us, then you can stand through anything. And you can love through anything. And as the Bible says, love endures all, bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things. Love never fails. It never fails. And this is an example of somebody that loved God and loved people. That's the kind of speech I want to be able to give at the end of my life. And I hope that you share that sentiment. Someday I'm going to be able to say I didn't shrink back. Someday I'm going to be able to say I wasn't after anybody's money. Someday I'm going to be able to say, hey, I'm innocent because I said what I needed to say when I needed to say it. Someday I'm going to be able to say I loved the flock of God as the chief shepherd loved his flock. And I pray that you'll be able to say the same thing. Amen. Stand with me tonight. Jesus, we value you. We, ah. Lord, when I read this, I'm sometimes shocked that you would love me this much, that you would think of us like this, that you have placed such a value on us, that you would give us people like this that would love us like you love us lay their lives down as you laid your life down. Lord, we want to be people like that too. We want to lay our life down for you. Yeah. <laughs> Not just the, in the one sense where we say, you know, I'd be willing to die. No, no. Much more important, we want to be able to say, I was willing to live and lay my life down every day for Jesus and for his people. Lord, we realize, I know that sometimes we read this and we recognize I'm not there yet. There's some things I need to improve. But we, want it. we know that it's not us that does the improving. It's you that does the improving. We open up our hearts to you that your, the word of your grace would cause us to become more like you every day. That we would recognize that it's not us that's doing it. It's you that's doing it in us. Lord, we thank you that you have loved us enough to show us a way that leads to life. We embrace it. 
we take hold of it. And I just want to pray for anyone out here who's, who hears this and, and feels a, a pang of regret, something that, you know, you just feel that sting of the moment you could have done something different. And I just want to thank God that it is under the blood of Jesus, that as far as he's concerned, because he sees you as he sees Christ, he looks down on you and says, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. And I ask, Lord, that every soul that's here tonight, even when we know we've missed it, that we would be aware, we would be so aware that you have not given up on us yet and that you still have entrusted us with this ministry. You still entrusted us with this kingdom that can't be shaken. So we thank you for it. Help us to be more like you every day, that we would really just be the kind of people that people look at and say, I saw, I saw Jesus today. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you very much.